So we're going to turn to the scriptures, and Jeff's going to come and read to us uh, a good long reading, unashamedly long, which is most uh, Exodus 19 um, through to chapter 20, verse 21. This is the word of God speaking to us. Exodus 19. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I am going to come to you in a dense cloud, so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Make them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day, because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, Be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch the foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast may they approach the mountain. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them and they washed their clothes. Then he said to the people, Prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning, with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. 
The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended to the top of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up, and the Lord said to him, Go down and warn the people so they do not force their way through to see the Lord, and many of them perish. Even the priest who approach the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out against them. Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, because you yourself warned us. Put limits around the mountain, and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied, Go down and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way through to come up to the Lord, or he will break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, so that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbour. You shall not covet your neighbour's house. You shall not covet your neighbour's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbour. When the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and the mountain in smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, 
Speak to us yourself and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Jeff. Let's pray. Father God, we ask by your spirit we might have a sense of the same awesomeness of the same awesome God that appeared to the Israelites that you might apply that to our hearts this morning we can't see you physically but we ask you Lord impinge on our spirits by your Holy Spirit that the eyes of our hearts will see you and that fear of you will keep us from sinning in Jesus name Amen Amen. Come to the end of our series on the Ten Commandments. So here we are, the last uh, commandment, you shall not covet. But before we get into that, why do we insist that preaching is central to the life of the church? Why is preaching important? Why do we listen to the word of God um, being expounded? Um, Why can't you just read the necessary information in a book? Some people might argue that. Glad to say, I assume that because you're here, you're not amongst them. But the answer is that we want to hear God speaking to us. And what's really clear, I think, out of this passage, maybe, the, uh, maybe more so than any other passage uh, in the whole of Scripture, is that the kind of four-part process to, to the revelation that comes to us through, through the Scriptures. The first is that God spoke. And God speaks here, and that's why we've gone backwards and included um, the the whole of uh, Exodus 19. God spoke. He spoke powerfully. He spoke awesomely. He spoke clearly. He spoke intelligibly. He spoke audibly to the people. And it's clear if if we read on that it's then written down. The Lord himself inscribes those ten words, those ten commandments on tablets of stone. And then it's recorded for us in the, in, the, in the words of Scripture, in the Exodus manuscript. But the danger is then that you pick that up as, as text. And we pick up the book and then we have the text as the Ten Commandments. The next stage is, is we, we read the words. But do we hear God speaking? Do we complete that, that four-part process? God speaks, it's written down, we read it, we hear hear God speaking to us and and, and to our hearts by the scriptures. It's a different thing, the hearing, than from the reading. When you read, you are in control. You're in charge of the information transfer. You choose the rate of flow. You choose the time of day. um, You choose the content. You choose which page to open it on. When you listen in any kind of conversation, It's the speaker who controls the rate of flow, 
To some extent, they control the time and place. If you want to hear them, you have to stay where they are, not wander away. And they choose the content and they choose the direction. Something different about listening than there is about reading. And so there's a danger when you read that you may only get involved in the two middle parts of that four-part process. You have the written text, you open it up, you read it, but you forget to read it as the voice of God coming to you. And I worry about that. I don't know whether you do in your Bible in a year. This is annoying me. There we go. It's just rubbing. Try again. So in my own Bible reading, I do a Bible, trying to do a Bible in the year. Um, it's very easy just to do the two parts, the middle part of that process. You read that, you see the text, it's written down, you read it. But do we take the, the time and the prayer so that it comes to us as the voice of God speaking and coming to our hearts? So by coming to preaching, one of the things you do is you come as listeners. By coming as listeners rather than readers, you're giving up some of your control. Uh, you get a, a limited control about which part of the, of the Bible we're coming to. And even as preachers, we try to give up some of that control by systematically going through chunks of scripture um, so that we hear all that God wants to, to say to us. So we come to preaching because we want to open ourselves up to hearing God's voice through the text of scripture back into voice and through and into our hearts and it couldn't be clearer really anywhere uh, than it is in today's text that the lord speaks to to israel and i suppose well now we've got time to this um uh now we've got down to the 10th commandment it, it's kind of like the, the further we get the further down we get the danger is the the further we get away from exodus 19 we could kind of read this as just those, focus down on those, on those Ten Commandments and, and it somehow suddenly becomes just a, like a little abstract moral code that you put in a pamphlet in your back pocket. And forget that they were words spoken by our God who is a, is a consuming fire. He's a God of fire. So we have to come to the mountain in, in our mind's eye have to come and stand uh, at the bottom of the mountain and, and, and hear what God says. God says, you've seen what I've done in, in Israel. So God says to Moses and, uh, and through Moses to Israel, think about what I've already done. I've caused it to be dark. I've caused the sea um, to break apart in two and, and you've walked through um, on, on dry ground. And he says, the, the whole earth is mine. Remember who is speaking to you? I am I'm the creator God who, who owns uh, all the atoms uh, and puts them in place. This is me. This is I who am speaking to you. Uh, but if you trust me, you will be for me, he says, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And then the Lord promises Moses, he says, I'm going to come in a dense cloud. He's going to make himself manifestly Present, manifestly presence 
in, in, a, in a cloud on the, on the mountain so that the people will remember. The people are to consecrate themselves and, and by washing, kind of ceremonial washing is a kind of like a, an outward sign that they're clean and they're ready to hear and that they prepare themselves by sexual abstinence. It's amazing how often uh, sex is such a powerful desire that it can obscure the word of God to you. Sexual desire is, is the next best thing. Um, to, to, to knowing God very easy for it to become the thing that obscures God's voice to you and the Lord impresses on, on Moses that the mountain is going to be made holy by the Lord's presence coming down on it as such that the death penalty is ordered for those who abuse it for those who are going to press in and, and try and see God have you met God at all at all in any sense or in any time and place like this? Has the spirit ever so moved in your life that you, you've, you've stood there and... I think it has to happen. Then on the third day, there's thunder. And, and there's lightning, and there's a, there's a thick cloud over the mountain. There's this supernatural ram's horn trumpet blast that just seems to get, to get louder and louder. So it's like, it, it, it's a little bit like some film of a volcano, and it's not a volcano, it is the presence of God on top of the mountain. And everyone we read, everyone trembled. And Moses led the people to the bottom of the mountain. And there's fire and there's smoke on the top. It is furnace hot and the whole mountain is shaking. It's like an eruption or it's like an earthquake. It isn't. It's the presence of God. And the Lord comes down and he calls Moses to come up. Come up, Moses, and he gives him another warning. The people mustn't run up the mountain to try and see God. And Moses says he's already made arrangements. And then God speaks. And God spoke all these words. And we get the Ten Commandments in this context, spoken out of fire and smoke, as the Lord makes himself audibly heard and visibly seen to the people of God. And the people, far from running up the mountain, they tremble with fear and they're kind of shuffling backwards. And they say, don't let God speak anymore, Moses. It, it's just too much. They're hearing this voice and it's, um, don't let him speak or we're going to die. It is, too, it, it, is, it is too awesome. You speak, Moses. You, Mo Moses, you speak. You do it for him. Maybe that's how you should think of the preacher, just kind of say, Nick, you speak, otherwise I'd have to stand before God himself and God himself speaks to me and actually... That's a much, much more terrifying thing. So we need to remember that this is, this is the how. Can't extract the Ten Commandments and say this is the what that God is speaking without remembering. This is the how God spoke. This awesome, holy consuming fire of a God that is our God and that calls us to be his covenant people.
So what about this final commandment then, this 10th commandment, you shall not covet? Shall not covet. Your neighbor's house, nor his neighbor's wife, or his male or female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And Jen Wilkin, in that helpful little book that I think is fantastic, one of the best books I've read for a while in the 10 words to live by, says that the, the 10 words, 10 commandments seem to have a progression about them. They go from don't do it to don't say it to don't even think about it. And I think that's quite helpful. Go from don't do it, don't say it. In other words, don't bear false witness. The ninth commandment, don't even think about it. So they might have seemed like quite simple commands. And they are commands on, on, on the face of it which would just restrict the worst of behavior that, that might seem possible. Um, no other gods, no God images, no name of God misuse, no Sabbath breaking, no parent dishonoring, no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no lying. This is what it means to be my people, um, my community um, before me. And suddenly they get kind of almost like flipped over. They kind of pivot on this 10th commandment. It's like the whole 10 commandments uh, have, have tripped themselves up. And we discover that actually this 10th commandment, this 10th commandment applies, um, applies to all the rest. And what we thought was about actions, or what the worst was about words, are suddenly all about heart desires, about not coveting. We discover that the heart is the heart of the matter. So those commands get turned over, love our God the most. Love our God the most. Love the Christian God the most. Don't cover what they have in other religions. Love him for the fact that he can't be reduced into anything tangible. Don't cover what other religions have. They might have things you can hold on to or pictures or statues. Don't cover that. Love him for the fact that he's so much greater than that. He can't be reduced down into to any form or thing. Love his reputation. Cover his good name. Love spending time with him and his people. Don't covet control of your own life so much that you can't give a Sabbath to the Lord. Love spending time with his people. Love and honor your brothers and sisters. Covet their well-being. Love your neighbors and, and promote faithfulness and love your neighbor's reputation and well-being so in case you thought that somewhere along the lines we were taking liberties with these commandments by broadening them and, and, and deepening them the tenth commandment in fact insists that that's what we do and Jesus simply finishes uh, or completes what his father has started and tells us that it's the heart that matters, what's at the heart of the matter is the heart. So what is coveting? Let's get to coveting in, in a bit more detail. 
Comfort is simply to want what someone else has. And Paul includes it in the New Testament. It's a really important verse in the uh, middle of Romans 13. Uh, Paul says, the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And whatever other commandment, there may be a summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's really helpful summary of Paul's that all those commandments, whatever commands they may be, uh, the commands that relate to other people, they're summed up by this one, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, he says. So this coveting command, it does come through into the New Testament. Uh, it's part of doing, doing love to your neighbor. And it's a moral command of God to be content with what you have. It's a moral command of God to be content with what you have. Paul says this, godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. And Paul, that's kind of, Paul kind of reducing life to its bare minimum, isn't it? You didn't bring anything with you um, when you were born. You're not taking anything out. What do, you, what do you need in the meantime? Do you need a kind of like a pile, a mass of stuff? You just need enough. Paul says, why? Well, coveting one implies that we don't trust the Lord. To want what other people have implies that you don't trust the Lord. In other words, you think he slipped up along the way. Look at the Roman Abramoviches. He's forgotten my yacht. Where did my yacht go? Uh, and my six-figure salary, the Lord, he's slipped, he's slipped up there. He's, he, he's forgotten. There was, there's a mistake in the heavenly distribution list. Coveting implies that you just don't trust the Lord. Contentment works on the assumption that the Lord has given you what he has decided is best for you. Secondly, coveting thinks that what we have, we have earned. What we have, we have earned. Whereas Paul says to the Corinthians... What, what do you have that you didn't receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as, as though you did not? Coveting thinks that what we have, we've earned. Contentment recognizes that everything we have is a gift from the Lord, ultimately. Coveting implies that we want something more than we want the Lord. That's an interesting one. Hebrews says, keep your lives uh, free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, never will, will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So the writer of Hebrews says, God has promised to be always with you. Why then do you need to love money? It kind of contrasts these two things. Why do you need more money? Because you want to be happier? The Lord is never going to leave you. The Lord is never going to forsake you. Is, is the Lord not going to bring you, bring you happiness? Okay, along with some pain. I want security. I want enough money to be, to be secure. Is the Lord not your, not your security? So contentment recognizes that the greatest possession you have is a relationship by grace with your loving creator who will never leave you or, or forsake you. It's an, it's an eternal gift. Coveting comes from comparison. I think, you, I think that's obvious, isn't it? Coveting looks around almost by definition, and says, they've got more than me. I want some of that. Whereas contentment comes from 
compassion. Looks on the person, he looks on that person, and instead of saying, they've got more than me, I want some of that, it looks on them and it prays for them. And it prays for their well-being. And I think praying for other people is one of those helpful antidotes to, to, to coveting. They've got more than me, but they might be mighty sad. And if they don't know the Lord, they, they may be well off for a, a sliver of time and yet be in eternal pain for eternity. So contentment comes from compassion. Coveting comes from um, prayerlessness. Coveting comes from prayerlessness. There's this thing uh, that James says. He says, you covet, but you, you covet, but you can't get what you want. So you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Coveting has not bothered to pray. Contentment is the reassurance that we've presented our requests to God, that we have persisted in prayer, and therefore the situation that we have now is a situation that God wants you to have. Yeah? So it's something you're missing, something you don't have. So let's say I get hung up about the yacht, and the Lord's forgotten my yacht. I pray, Lord, can I have a yacht? And I pray persistently until I suddenly I realize God doesn't intend me to have a yacht. So covetousness comes from prayer, prayerlessness. Contentment comes from knowing that you presented your requests to God and you've been persistent. And so if the Lord has not given it to you, it's not good for you because the Lord is always working for you good. Coveting comes from a wrong view of possessions, doesn't it? It comes from a view. Um, yeah, Paul says to the, uh, the, the Corinthians, from now on, those uh, who have wives should live as they don't not, those who mourn as if they did not, those who are happy as if they were not, those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep, those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them, for this world in its present form is passing away. The wrong view of possessions as, as, as security. Something to be used, something to be grasped, and contentment comes from generosity, from a giving heart. So you remember when we talked about stealing, Paul says, the one who steals must, must stop and they must work so that they have something to share um, with those in need. And coveting comes from the assumption that more equals happier. Coveting comes from the assumption that more equals happier. There is a vast industry worth billions and billions of, uh, of pounds a year that is committed to making you think that if you have more stuff, whatever that stuff they want to put in front of you will make you happier. That's a false assumption. So deeply embedded in us. Do you not find that? You say, Nick, that can't be true. If I had a million quid, I'd be happier. No. False assumption. So Jen Wilkins says this, this is one of her best quotes, I reckon, to live a life that consists in the abundance of possessions is inconsistent with abundant life. Let me say that again. To live a life that consists in the abundance of possessions is inconsistent with an abundant life. Abundant life in Christ. So contentment 
is a learnt skill. It's a learnt skill. Paul says that. He says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content. Because he's practiced these things that we've, we've just talked about. Trust the Lord. Recognize that everything's a gift. Recognize the Lord is better than anything else. Have compassion and pray for instead of comparison. Pray for the things that you want until the Lord gives you an answer. Realize that possessions are to be given away. To be generous with, it's better to give than to receive. It's a learned skill. So let's try and wrap it up. The old covenant, we said, right back at the start, if you remember, encapsulated by the law of Moses is obsolete. So why are we here this morning? We said, didn't we say the old covenant was obsolete? Yes, it is. The Hebrews said that. You cannot be saved by keeping a moral law. You know that, don't you? You cannot be saved by the keeping of a moral law. By saved, I mean saved from God's anger. Saved from God's anger and, and saved into uh, a relationship with him. You can only be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Because he's the only person who's lived the law perfectly. And he credits his perfect life to you and is prepared to have your imperfect life credited to him. As he takes that to, to the cross and pays for it in blood. And now the old covenant cannot make you godly. Only the spirit of Christ working in your hearts can make you more godly. So Christians are those people. Christians are the people who know that bittersweet sting of conviction. Do you know what I mean by this? You need to know. You know what I mean? That bittersweet sting of conviction. You're reading something. Uh, you, you, you're reading the scriptures and you go, oh no. Uh, and, oh God, literally, I don't mean that blasphemously. You go, oh my Lord. And then you read it and you realize and it, and it stings the heart and you know you're wrong. But it's bittersweet because you know the Lord only, only does that to, to put you right and to, and to draw you more, more closer to himself. Do you know that? You have to know that as a Christian. So we're not saved by the law. The law can't save you. And it is obsolete in the sense there were no more animal sacrifices. All those sacrifices in the priesthood, it pointed to Christ. It pointed to Christ and what he'd do on the cross. There's no more nation state, so those regulations that were for the well, for government, they, they, are, they are obsolete and, and they've gone. Because there's no need to be Jewish anymore, so those things that mark the Jewish people have gone because we are the uh, multicolored, multi-ethnic, multi-racial um, kingdom of God. But there is still moral law in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That's the next slide. There is still moral law in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments. And the moral law is summed up in the New Testament as love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. But even in the New Testament, do you not, has this never puzzled you? 
that there are still commands. Paul will still tell you what to do. He'll give you long lists of things that are good to do, not about to do. So how do we, how do we respond? If the law of Moses is, is obsolete, well, we are not legalists. It's really important. I don't think any of us here are legalists. We don't take the law and apply it without relationship to God in Christ. That's doing parts two and three of the four-part process. Forget that this is a voice of God. Read the rule. Um, put it into practice. But forget that it's come from the Lord. And, and forget the, the relationship that he wants with you. We're not licentious. We're not people who say there are no rules anymore. We're not trying to live with a Lord without, without a morality. I think that is by far the greatest danger of, of Christians in our place and time. No. We are uniquely, as Christians, I think, the people who delight in God's law out of a changed heart. Are we not? We're the people who delight in God's law out of a, out of a changed heart. This is the mark of being a Christian, is it not? The mark of the Holy Spirit is, it is within you that, that you love God's law that you love God's commands, you love God's standards? Is it not in your heart that you crave to do it? Is that not the mark of a Christian? If you delight in it, if you delight in the laws that are given, then you cannot go far wrong because if we delight in it, we're not legalists because we're doing it out of love and for love. If we delight in it, we're not going to get licentious and forget about it. We're going to delight to live in the way the Lord wants us to live. And you could go to worse places in Psalm 119. And with this I'm going to finish. Psalm 119, you see, is this great song of praise for God's law. Let me just read you one of the stanzas from verse 41. May your unfailing love come to me, Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then I can answer anyone who taunts me, for I trust in your word. Never take your word of truth in my mouth, for I have put my hope in your laws. I will always obey your law forever and ever. I will walk about in freedom, for I have sought your precepts. I will speak out your statutes before kings and will not be put to shame. For I delight in your commands, because I love them. I delight in your commands because I love them. I reach out for your commands, which I love, that I may meditate on your decrees. That's the sign of a converted heart. Let's pray. Let's just be quiet for a second. Father, please do something different than you've done for us before. 
please, please open our eyes to your glory. Particularly as we come to your word, particularly this morning and this week. Give us a glimpse of the glorious God who speaks to us. And please, Lord, change our hearts. We know that our hearts go cold. We want to say that we're the people who love your law. Maybe that isn't as true as it should be. Please write your law afresh on our hearts by your spirit. Thank you for your word that you used by the spirit to be a double-edged sword. And what does the sword do? It pricks our conscience sticks deeply into our conscience and tells us it's, it's time to change. So grateful that by your spirit we can change. That as your word convicts, it also empowers. So Lord, cut the ties that bind, applies the same sword, Lord, where there is sin that has entangled us. By that same sword, cut to it, please. Because we want to do, we want to be like the psalmist. We want to run about in freedom because we've sought out your precepts. Only you can do this, Lord. Please use your word by your spirit as a double edged sword this week, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.